Square River Basin, and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org We light the candles of Hanukkah, oh Hanukkah, oh. This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard's Star Talk report highlights Jupiter's great red spot that's visible in the evening sky. Pat and Jim Sanders are for the birds and share this Farm and Country archive segment about snowy owls. Stephanie Phillips highlights Holly. From the archive segment Now You Know, the Monza family farm owner Tom Monza and employee Martha Howdy tell us about this seasonal favorite tree. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country here on Radio Catskill. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News, I'm Barbara Klein. The parents of a Michigan teenager accused of killing four students in a shooting at his high school Tuesday were in court this morning. Jennifer and James Crumbly uh, on, were arraigned on four charges of involuntary manslaughter. How are you pleading to count one? Not guilty. How are you pleading to count two? Not guilty. How are you pleading to count three? Not guilty. And how are you pleading to count four? Not guilty. The judge has imposed a $500,000 bond on each of them. As Alex McLennan of member station WDET reports, police found and arrested the two early this morning in a warehouse about 40 miles away. Detroit police couldn't share too many details because the Crumblies are being charged in Oakland County. Detroit is in Wayne County. However, Detroit Police Chief James White says the couple were found unarmed and did not resist arrest. He says the department received a tip that led officers to a commercial building on the city's east side. We got a tip uh, that they were here, uh, or that possibly uh, the, the, the fugitives were at this location, the vehicle was spotted. Uh, our officers responded in, in a matter of minutes. Uh, when they got here, they set up a perimeter, did surveillance. White says an as-of-yet unnamed person helped the Crumblies hide in the building. He says that person could also face charges. From PR News, I'm Alex McLennan in Detroit. Russia is dismissing U.S. reports about an impending invasion of neighboring Ukraine. NPR's Charles Maines reports from Moscow. Russia's foreign ministry spokeswoman Maria Zakharova accused the U.S. of stoking tensions through the media, pointing to a new Washington Post article that claims the Kremlin could mass as many as 175,000 troops on its border in advance of an invasion of Ukraine early next year. Moscow has denied any such plans, instead accusing Kiev of building up its forces to attack territory held by pro-Russian separatists. Russia has also warned NATO against crossing a Kremlin red line by expanding into Ukraine, a demand rejected by President Biden on Friday. Biden and Russian leader Vladimir Putin are expected to discuss escalating tensions in a video call both sides say will happen in the coming days. Charles Maines, NPR News, Moscow. 
French President Emmanuel Macron says several European countries are working together to open a joint diplomatic mission in Afghanistan as they withhold formal recognition of the Taliban government. Their embassies have been shuttered since the Taliban seized control in late August. At the same time, Pakistan is announcing a meeting of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation this month to try to stop Afghanistan from sliding further into crisis. This is NPR. Support comes from Van Gorder's Furniture, featuring Lodge and Adirondack styles as well as rustic collections, with showrooms at Lake Wallenpapak, downtown Honesdale, and Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com The candles burn bright Baby, it's Hanukkah It's just the first night Baby, it's Hanukkah You wonder what I have got in store It's just one gift, there's seven more Baby, don't get excited Happy I was invited You think there will be plenty to come and Pour us a hot onion rum Don't you get too delighted after this, the presents are done. What? The dreidel will spin. That's the present thing. Some gelfs I will win. I mean, if it was a ring. So happy that you are here with me. I guess I'll have to wait and see. Cause even though you're not Jewish, my mother says your cooking is fine. What do you mean by fine? The candles burn bright. You already said that. Baby, it's Hanukkah. This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farming Country. Coming up on today's show, Pat and Jim Sanders, who are for the birds, shared this Farming Country archive segment about snowy owls. From her archive segment, Now You Know, Stephanie Phillips highlights Holly. She visits the Manza family farm in Montgomery and speaks with owner Tom Manza and employee Martha Howdy about this seasonal favorite tree. But first, here is Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk Report. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. Country. I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. Jupiter is known for being the largest planet in our solar system, and it also has the largest storm in the solar system. This storm, known as the Great Red Spot, is 10,000 miles across. It is twice as large as Earth and has been observed on Jupiter continuously for at least 200 years. NASA's Juno spacecraft, which was launched in 2011, and arrived at Jupiter in 2016 made two passes directly over the Great Red Spot in 2019. In late October, the results were published. Before Juno, astronomers could only observe the Great Red Spot from a distance. Juno used microwave sensors to peer into the depths of the storm, finding that the storm extends at least 200 miles into the cloud layers of Jupiter. 
Astronomers made more observations of the Great Red Spot by measuring the effect the storm's gravity field had on the spacecraft as it passed overhead. The gravity field of the storm is so strong that it slightly changed Juno's speed and direction relative to Earth. The data from Juno is sent back to Earth via radio waves, and the changing speed and direction of Juno causes the radio waves to be squeezed and stretched. The gravity field data revealed that the Great Red Spot extends 300 miles into Jupiter's atmosphere. Look in the western sky before 10 p.m. all this week to see Jupiter and its Great Red Spot. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, My email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. Celestial greetings. I'm Keith Hubbard, writer and producer of Star Talk for Farm and Country. Thank you for listening to us, supporting us, and truly making WJFF your community radio station. Have a safe and festive holiday season and a happy new year. Good morning. This is Jim and Pat Sanders for Farm and Country, and our program is for the birds. Snowy owls spend summers far north of the Arctic Circle hunting lemmings, ptarmigan, and other prey in the 24-hour daylight. In years of lemming population booms, they can raise double or even triple their usual number of young. In some years, some North American snowy owls remain on their breeding grounds year-round, while others migrate in winter to southern Canada and the northern half of the contiguous United States. In the northern plains, New York and New England, snowy owls occur regularly in winter. Elsewhere, such as our area, snowy owls are eruptive, appearing only in some winters but not in others. Snowy owls are white birds with varying amounts of black or brown markings on the body and wings. On females, this can be quite dense, giving the bird a salt and pepper look. Males tend to be paler and become whiter as they age. Their eyes are yellow. They're very large owls with smoothly rounded heads and no ear tufts. The body is bulky with dense feathering on the legs that makes the bird look wide at the base when sitting on the ground. Thick feathers for insulation from Arctic cold make snowy owls North America's heaviest owl, weighing about four pounds, one pound heavier than even a great horned owl. When I see a picture of a snowy owl, it practically takes my breath away. They are so stunning. Where should you look for one of these massive, charismatic white owls? Unless you visit the high Arctic, you'll mainly be looking for snowy owls during winter in wide open areas such as fields and shorelines. Snowy owls like to perch in conspicuous areas, so be sure to check high points like hay bales, fence posts, telephone poles, buildings, or even grain elevators. When they fly, they usually stay close to the ground. They also do a lot of sitting. They sit still in the same spot for hours, occasionally swiveling their head or leaning forward and blinking their big yellow eyes to get a closer look at something. When they hunt, they use extraordinary vision and hearing to draw a bead on their prey, maybe a vole scurrying beneath the snow, and then fly or even run over to pounce on it. If successful, they'll down the rodent head first in a single gulp.
What would cause eruptions of snowy owls? It had been thought that the birds that were coming further south than normal were starving to death and coming south due to crashes in the lemming population in the Arctic. But scientists say that this old theory about why there are eruptions of snowy owls is wrong. New thinking is that an abundance of lemmings prompts breeding, bigger clutches of eggs, and lots of snowy owl offspring. The young birds have to venture further south to find food as they disperse from their home territories at the end of the breeding season. If you're out looking for snowy owls, please take care if you should encounter any of these owls and avoid the temptation to to get too close at the risk of stressing the owl. So keep on the lookout as you travel around the roads this winter. You might just happen to spot one of these unforgettable birds. We hope you've enjoyed this week's segment. This has been Pat and Jim Sanders of the Northeast Pennsylvania Audubon Society, and we're For the Birds. Christmas is here, Christmas is here, and Hanukkah's here, good holiday cheer to all of us here, if we pass it around, what we've lost might be found, good holiday cheer. who's the owner of the Manza Family Farm, is going to talk to us about holly today. Martha Howdy, who's worked at the farm for 18 years, is going to help us with the decorating part of it. My name is Tom Manza, and I've been at Manza Family Farm since 1979, and we've been a nursery selling trees and shrubs and Christmas trees. It sounds like you started as a farm, though. Yes, we've pretty much evolved. We've had everything from vegetable growing to strawberries to apple picking. We boarded horses for quite a while and we sold hay and grain to other area stables. And uh, at this point we're mainly a tree and shrub nursery. We sell Christmas trees and we have a pumpkin patch that does hay rides and fall activities. I imagine you'll be seeing a lot of our listeners out here once they buy their trees. Martha, can you tell us something about yourself? Well, I've been at Manza Farm selling trees and shrubs for years now. And how long has the Manza family farm been in existence? Are there other family members involved? It's been in existence since 1979. My father purchased the farm. He thought it would be a great place for his three sons to carry on farming and to be a family compound. And my brothers kind of faded away after a couple of years. They had their own careers, real estate and psychiatry. But I stayed on and turned it into what it is today with a lot of help from my friends. <laughs> Can you tell our listeners where the farm is located? We're on Route 211 in Montgomery. It's about midway between the Galleria Mall in Middletown and Montgomery, right on that stretch of Route 211. What's your background? Did you have to study horticulture or something like that growing up? 
I did not. I think my background in growing crops, I learned it as I went and made my share of mistakes. And that's, sometimes that's the best way to learn, painful as it may be. So you've actually been out there trying to grow things. Yes, we grow a field of pumpkins, but we also grow a lot of ornamental trees. And we've been doing that for a while. We also, back in the day, we grew a lot of vegetables and strawberries, things like that. How about you, Martha? Are you a gardener? Yes, I am. I've been gardening on the West Coast and the East Coast and changing as I go and learning along the way. This has been a great place to hone my skills in gardening, working on a big nursery. And get some samples as well, I imagine. Oh, yeah. We get lots of samples here, and we get to help customers pick out different items for their gardens as well and give them advice. Tom, given the season, let's talk about holly. Can you tell us the scientific name, how many species there are, the range, what kinds grow around here? There are many different species. Unfortunately, in Sullivan County, not a lot of them will make through the winters, so very limited. Some of the best species for Sullivan County are the Blue Princess and Blue Prince hollies, China Girl and China Boy and the China Hollies, and they're pretty much it. There are other ones that will make it up there, some of the Japanese Hollies and American Holly, but they have to be put in a very protected spot and probably get a good root system before the winter. Hey, I've got the Blue Princess. I have two of them, a male and a female one. And they do have those pointy leaves. Why do you think that they're so popular for Christmas decorations? I think they're very popular because of the berries and the look of them and it's very vibrant colors and I think that's what makes it popular. The leaves are nice too. Martha, what would you use them for in decorating? Well, you could use the dried branches. You can snip them off the bush and hang them upside down for a few weeks and they'll dry real nicely and keep well in a dried arrangement. Or if you want to add them to water, I've seen them dunked in glass canisters as a centerpiece, or just use in a vase with some water they'll keep for a very long time. And you could also spray them with a, like a desiccant spray, which will keep their luster even longer. But they stay for a good long time for a decoration inside. Even if they're not in water, they stay. Right, especially if you dry them first. If you don't put them in water and you keep them inside, they'll still stay for a couple of weeks. But if you want to keep them longer, you would air dry them first. Either way, you could bring them in and use them in a pinch for your table or your mantle or a wreath. When you say air dry, you just hang them on a string or something? Right. If you cut them clean with a, a good sharp shear and you remove the bottom six inches of leaves from the branches and then hang those branches upside down tied to a string, maybe four or five branches at a time, and hang them in a cool, dark place, they will dry for you very nicely that way. Maybe three weeks drying. Great. Tom, you mentioned several varieties. The hollies that I've all recommended are Chinese hollies. Ilux Meserverde, I believe you pronounce it that way. That seems to be the only ones that are hardy. Again, the Japanese hollies and the native hollies are hardier down south in areas from, I would say, New York City on south of there. I admit to being a biologist, so I'll tell you that the species are the ones that you can cross easily, one with the other. They make cultivars. (laughs) Right, so it's Ilex is the genus. The Japanese hollies are the other hollies, which we sell them because they do make it down here in Orange County, 
But up in Sullivan County, they're very touchy. They're more of a zone six plant. And uh, I wouldn't recommend anything in Sullivan unless it was at least a zone five plant. And what zone are we in? In Sullivan County, I believe it's uh, maybe a five. And down here, I believe it's a five A or six. Uh, they you hear a little less elevation down here. Yeah, a little less elevation. They did change the zones about three or four years ago with the global warming, so-called, but it, we've had some winters where we've had, of course, some bitter temperatures, so you could probably throw that out the window. If you want to grow holly bushes yourself, what's a good time of year to plant them? I would say the best time to plant hollies is in either early fall or early spring. They really need a good root system before the winter time. It's a little late to put them in at this time, although many other things do take very well. But hollies need a good root system. They dehydrate too much, if they're, especially in a windy condition, if they're put in at a time of the year when they don't have a chance to root. Because they keep their leaves all winter. Exactly. And we recommend putting wilt-proof on them anyway before the winter. I think it's a good idea to put a wilt-proof to coat the leaves, to protect them from the winds, and to plant them on a side of the house that they're a little bit protected. Ours are pretty protected by a covering of snow. (laughs) (laughs) What conditions do they need? Sun? Shade? Do they mind the wind? They could take part sun. I think part sun is probably optimal conditions. They can grow in the full sun, but in the heat of summer, if they're planted a little late, they might dehydrate. Again, anything with leaves, whether it be hollies or rhododendron, they dehydrate more than other plants because they have so much leaf cover. I would say the best conditions are part sun. And what kind of soil do they like? What kind of fertilizer should you use? They like a slightly acid fertilizer and a little bit of a medium pH. They don't like too acidy, but a medium pH and a little bit of fertilizer is always a good thing. Peat moss mixed in with the soil because they like a little bit of drainage. So they mix in well with the azaleas. Oh, yeah. Yep. And I was thinking, don't forget about deciduous holly. It grows real well around here, and it has a very, very showy berry production. Mm -hmm. So deciduous holly, Mm -hmm. I think particulata, Mm -hmm. is another good source of decorating, for sure. More berries than some of the evergreens. I like them because the leaf color is so different from the azaleas. It makes a nice contrast. You mean the deciduous? The the, 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 the uh, English evergreens. holly, yeah, 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 nice deep dark green, and it does make a great background because they usually get a lot taller. You know, they'll grow taller. They're a good background for a lot of perennials. Tom, how big do they get, and how long does it take them to get there? Well, the deciduous holly, like Martha's pointing out, can get a little bit of size to. I believe they get about six foot, right, mm-hmm. Martha? Yeah. And the evergreen hollies can get a little bit tall as well. Most people will. A lot of times shear them into a hedge if they like, but uh, otherwise they can get a little bit of size to them somewhere in the five, six foot range. Some of the hollies don't have those pointy leaves. They have little the Japanese oval yeah. shaped leaves, and I had one that was like 12 feet high. Yeah, some of the steeds and the other Japanese hollies can get quite tall. The steeds are one of the hardier varieties of Japanese holly that probably would make it fine in Sullivan County with the right conditions. They are an upright holly, and there are other ones that are upright, and they can get quite tall. When I originally bought my hollies, I was told I had to buy two of them, a male and a female. Can you explain that? Yeah, they need to cross-pollinate. The bees will pollinate the flowers from the male holly to the female. That's what, how they, they pollinate. So really, the optimal to be within 50 to 100 feet, of between, you'd need a male and a female holly of the same species recommended. It's, it's best to have the same as possible. And one male will pollinate 
six to ten females. So even if your neighborhood has holly, you may still get berries on your female holly because there's a holly down the street or across the way because they can be at a distance. They don't have to be right next to each other. And it's the females that has the berries, right? Correct. Are the holly subject to pests? Do they get diseases? They're a pretty clean plant, and relatively speaking, we haven't had many problems with hollies. There's been other plants that over the last couple of years have had some difficulties, but the hollies seem to be one of those that's been immune to a lot of the common problems other plants have. You mentioned that they can be in hedges. How should they be pruned? Hollies can be pruned really drastically. If you want a real low hedge, that's okay. They take to shearing and intense pruning, or let to grow tall, they could just be trimmed to the height that you want your hedge to be. But I've seen them used in topiaries and in little formal box gardens where they are clipped at 12 inches. So they take to shearing very well, as long as you do it with clean tools. The branches get very thick. Sure. And I mean, if you're going to keep a low hedge, the branches will get thick, but there'll always be nice fresh foliage on the edges, in the tips. Tom, can you root hollies from cuttings? I believe you can root hollies from cuttings. We have never done that. We're not into the production end of growing them. A friend of ours does do quite a bit of cuttings. They have to miss the leaves, though. They have to be under almost a constant moisture on the tops of them. You think that's how they propagate them, or are they from seeds? I believe that's how they propagate the hollies, that they do cuttings. They, they dip them in rooting hormone and they put them in closed areas, green, greenhouse settings where they put misters on them so that they keep hydrated until they do root. Martha, I looked up how you make reeds, holly, holly reeds mm -hmm. online, and they seem to recommend adding sprigs of other plants, and they mention laurel, ivy, crab apple, something called, I don't know, cupressus, mm -hmm. and yes. other... Cypress, that's cypress. Any evergreen mixes beautifully with holly branches. Uh, you could go out in your yard and collect any number of evergreens or boxwood. There's so many ways you could go with a wreath and holly. Holly could be just used as an accent. Or if you have enough, you can make the entire wreath out of holly by cleaning the branches and wiring them with florist wire to a round form. And you can buy those forms at a nursery? Yeah, well, a garden supply, you could get them in a, a large store with a garden supply center. We don't carry too many floral arrangement items here, but certainly they're easy to find. It's Home Depot again. Could be. Even Target. You know, there's so many big stores now that have nice garden center departments for that sort of thing. <laughs> Lastly, what kind of a plant is mistletoe? Because that's the other plant that people use around Christmas time. The mistletoe would be considered a parasite plant, which doesn't root to the ground, but it finds its way somehow in the branches of trees and prospers as sort of like a, it looks like a witch's broom or something. It's a cluster that grows high in the trees. I don't know if it grows on the East Coast, but I saw a lot of it on the West Coast. So, thanks to Tom Manza and Martha Howdy, now you know how you can deck the halls with your very own holly. If there are other topics that you'd like to know about, email me at stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E, at wjffradio.org. This has been Stephanie Phillips for Farm and Country. Happy holidays, everyone. And I hope everybody has a happy and healthy holiday season. Happy holidays.
that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers Keith Hubbard and Stephanie Phillips. Jump real high. Happy Hanukkah, jump, jump high. My little fruity cake on your toes. Happy Hanukkah, and around and around you go. Run real fast. Happy Hanukkah, run, run, run. My little sugar pie on your toes. Happy Hanukkah, and around Special thanks goes to Jim and Pat Sanders for their Northeast Audubon Society report on snowy owls and to our guest, Tom Manza and Martha Howdy from the Manza Family Farm in Montgomery, New York. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening to Farm and Country on Radio Catskill. Happy Hanukkah, Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability a community-supported, science-based nonprofit, taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org This is Kit, host of WJFF's Something Old, Something New, wishing you a harmonious holiday season. As I ring out the old and ring in the new, I'll be thinking of you. From all of us here at